Are you ready? I am. Perfect. Thank you for joining us on The Change Artist, where we bring our listeners stories and great advice for leading and following through change from business leaders who are making a difference in their organizations. Here on The Change Artist, our motto is, if change is the only constant in life, then let's do it better. And this season, we're focusing specifically on psychological safety, what we can do to build it in our organizations and why it's so important for change. So let's jump right in. Morag, how do you define psychological safety? Oh, thank you for asking, Alyssa. I think of psychological safety as the outside in experience. And by that, I mean, if you think about trust, I like to think I'm trustworthy. I trust you. Like this is going to be a great conversation. Psychological safety, though, is the outside in, knowing that you have my back, that if I fluff the landing, if I make a mistake, that you are going to give me the benefit of the doubt and help me course correct in the moment. And without it, teams, leaders, careers flounder. I love this idea of fluffing the landing. I want to dig into that for sure. But first, so for those who don't know her, Morag Barrett is an award-winning author and sought-after executive coach and leadership expert who helps leaders achieve outstanding results through the power of their professional relationships. Now let's get back. Fluffing the landing. We're all going to fluff the landing at some point. How do we as leaders communicate to the people that work with us and to the people that we are encouraging to take risks, that we are there to support them, not to take over for them, but there to help them stick the landing or catch up when they have fluffed the landing? Oh my goodness, that's such a powerful question. And I talk about this at length in my first book, Cultivate the Power of Winning Relationships. And again, there's an inside out answer to that and an outside in. So inside out is I have to take responsibility for my own leadership presence. And if I know I've made a mistake, if I've said something that has been misinterpreted, then I need to own it and role model how you recover from that and from that fluffed landing. The second piece, the outside in again that you're asking there, Alyssa, is to essentially say it. If I am going to be somebody's ally, if I'm going to have your back, then I should tell you, make the implicit explicit, but also talk about what those expectations are, both around giving and receiving feedback. What does success look like so that you are being set up to succeed with the tools and resources that you need? So how do we role model this? One is by going first, being vulnerable and owning our own mistakes. The second is setting the platform and the catch mat or whatever for when others invariably do trip and fall, being there ready to catch them and following through. And so I want to key in on use the term ally. Talk to me a little bit because we hear a lot about allyship in a diversity, equity and inclusion context. But my sense is that you're talking more broadly about allyship. So talk to me about what you mean when you use the term ally. So it is. They're part and parcel, but I do see this as going even broader in that I introduced the concept of ally relationships in Cultivate, my first book. And the idea being that um, if you think about Gallup and the engagement data that they've been collecting for more than 20 years, one of their key questions is, do I have a best friend at work? And in my new book, You, Me, We, we turn that on its head because as far as I'm concerned, that's passive. That allows me to say, no, I don't have a best friend at work. 
because Alyssa was meaner to me at lunchtime and she didn't respond to my email. So no, I don't. I did. I did respond. You did. In fact, you emailed me to prepare me for this. You had my back. I love it. So this is a hypothetical Alyssa in a parallel universe. But here's the thing. It isn't just, do I have a best friend at work? It's, am I a best friend at work? And that's what being an ally is. An ally is the person who has your back, not just on the good days when things are going well, but especially on the tough days when we fluff the landing, when the proverbial hits the fan. They're the ones who are going to give you the feedback you need to hear, not just what you want to hear. They're the ones who are going to roll up their sleeves and help get you out of that pickle. But in order to have an ally, you need to be an ally, which is where you, me, we comes in, changing that mindset about how do I go first? How do I show up as a friend at work without becoming a doormat? So I'm still meeting my goals and needs, but I have a better understanding of your goals and needs and where that intersect is and how far we are willing to go to ensure mutual success. And so you're talking about having a best friend at work. And I know so in your book, You, Me, We, you cite a number of statistics about the, the benefits of having a best friend at work and the research there. But is it about having a best friend at work or just having a best friend? What's unique about having a work friend? Well, I think the, the reality is that you can't be successful at work or in life unless you have at least one best friend. I mean, relationships are the heart and lungs, the fuel that generate and drive everything that we do. Nothing is done in isolation that more I can do on her own. There are always ripple effects and others who contribute to the success. Think about this podcast. I mean, it would be a great podcast, but it would be with Alyssa, an audience with Alyssa if you didn't have guests. Um, it would be just more egg spouting off at random if you weren't guiding the conversation by asking questions. So life is a team sport. And the advantage of having somebody who is a friend at work or friends, because the idea is not just to have one, but one is a good starting place, is that since we spend more than two, two thirds of our lives at work, I mean, a ridiculous amount of time at work, we better have somebody that we enjoy hanging out with who's got our back. Because otherwise, in that moment of vulnerability, where we're uncertain, should I apply for that promotion? I've just had feedback that stung. I've just been told I'm not strategic enough. What do I do? Who do we turn to if we haven't nurtured those relationships? And again, on a team basis, we saw what happened with the pandemic. If we haven't built relationships, how is your organizational team going to respond in the moment to these out of left field challenges that may come your way? And then how do I, as a leader, balance the friend side of being an ally with my responsibility as a leader to provide critical and growth guidance to my teammates, to my subordinates? How do I balance those two? Because when I think about being a friend, oftentimes it's about being supportive and nurturing, but perhaps not pointing out some of the warts that you really, we really should be addressing here. So I, I hear you, you know, does this dress suit me? It's the corporate equivalent of does my bum look big in this? You're damned if you do and damned if you don't. But I would say having a foundation of professional friendships at work. So again, it doesn't mean you want to take me home to meet your mother. It doesn't mean we have to go for drinks after work every day. In fact, it's possible to be an ally and maybe we don't like each other socially, but we found a way to work together respectfully. 
And so if you're experiencing the politics silos and turf wars at work, if you're hesitating to give tough feedback to those on your team or to those who need to hear it, then that tells me you're not yet in an ally relationship. And when we sit down and invest in our professional relationships, it actually makes it easier to give the tough feedback because we have that foundation of trust. We have the psychological safety that you asked about at the beginning, that even if I deliver the feedback a little too directly and it stings, A, you're going to say, oh, Morag, that hurt a bit. Okay, I'm sorry. It was important that you heard this message. What do we do now to move forward together and grow your skills? So in fact, being an ally, having friends doesn't weaken us. If anything, it strengthens us, both as individual leaders, teams, and as organizations. But if you're in one of those siloed organizations and in, in an environment with a number of sort of counterproductive relationships, counterproductive interactions, a rival relationship, how do you show up as an ally to somebody who is a rival, who is coming to you as a rival? So I've been there. I've lived it. I may have written two books on this topic, but again, it's not about being perfection. It's changing the stories. And I share in the book about a colleague whose mere presence on the planet would push my buttons. And it meant that I was going in to meetings with that person with my hackles up, ready either to attack first to get, you know, get even for whatever was said last time or on the defensive. But what I wasn't doing was role modeling curiosity. What is their point of view? What have I got to learn from them? And how do we move forward together? And of course, if neither of us are listening and learning, then invariably it feels like you're butting heads. So one of the things we can do is take a step back and say, what baggage am I carrying from the past? How do I value this person in a different way? Because that at least allows me to go in and listen a little longer than I may have done before shutting them down or shutting them out and just hearing wah, wah, wah. The other thing you can do is just sit down and say, hey, I've been reading Cultivate or You, Me, We. It got me thinking about how you and I work together. And it's been feeling like we've been butting heads recently. How does it feel to you? And they'll either go, no, what do you mean? At which point now you can explain your perspective or they're going to go, yes, and God, am I tired with it. Okay, what do we do to solve it? And hopefully it allows you to take those baby steps to turn it around. And as I say, even if you don't end up being best friends out of work, it's got to be a lot less stressful for you and the innocent bystanders who might be joining you in meetings with that colleague that just rubs you the wrong way. And do the benefits of an ally mindset accrue to us, even if we're the only one participating in the ally relationship? Heck, yes. You become the go-to colleague versus the go-from colleague. Now, if you're permanently in a toxic environment, it's stressful. You're not looking forward to going into work, whether that's getting on the Zoom call or going to the office. If that is a continuous state, then maybe you need to choose to find a different team and organization to join so that you can thrive versus just survive. But I've seen it change leadership reputations. I've seen it transform team and organizational cultures. So don't worry about the company culture being toxic or challenging. What can you do, especially if you're in a line manager responsibility, for your team around the table to be an oasis of calm, where you have that psychological safety, where your team can come and vent appropriately or problem solve, knowing that when it goes out, 
It's not going on the grapevine or being held against them. That's how you start to affect change, one conversation and one relationship at a time. How do you show up as an ally for yourself? So you mentioned if you're in a toxic work environment, you know, it may be time for you to think about changing your setting. How can we think about being an ally in terms of creating psychological safety for ourselves and cutting back on some of that negative self-talk that can be really poisonous? So look up, show up, step up. Three simple ways to adjust and change. And the first one, look up, is you need to get a feedback and understand, well, what is your leadership reputation right now? And it can be as simple as asking a few, few folks who work with and for you, what three words would you use to describe me at my best? What three words would you use to describe me at my not best or my worst? And then to what extent does that align with the leadership legacy and reputation that you want? If you have a performance review process or a 360 feedback tool, it's another way of getting that outside in, of assessing, well, where am I today? What's making me successful, but what might be stopping me from getting to that next level? Then leadership is a choice. You choose how do you want to show up? So up until today, Morag spoke first, listened second. Therefore, I interrupt a lot. So let it go. There's from tomorrow, I'm going to start listening more and talking less. So you can make that pivot and be intentional. In this next meeting, I'm going to ask three questions before I tell and share my point of view. And then because I know it to my own cost, there's the knowing doing gap. Step up means actually following through. Did I do what I was going to say? Did I count to three before I spoke? Did I ask those three questions before I told and offered my perspective? And so that step up is both doing it, but also taking a pause to reflect and say, did I do my best? And what worked and what didn't? And that allows and feels, fuels you right back to the lookup piece of, and tomorrow, where do I continue to tweak the dial? So look up, show up, step up. Three, three ways for starting to elevate your leadership brand, your leadership reputation and impact. And how do you go about making sure that you're getting, as a leader, the right candid feedback from the people below you in the organization? My experience in this space is the higher up you are in the organization, the less candid feedback you get. How do you go and effectively solicit and create a culture of safety where people can provide the feedback that you need to hear, even if it's going to make you uncomfortable? So it's funny. I'm glad you asked. I just actually sent out a one-to-one -to -one toolkit um, to a colleague and a contact of mine who's looking to elevate that capability in his team. And it's a traditional blue-collar manufacturing environment 24-7 assembly lines. And so those one-on-ones tended to focus on what are you doing? How much are you producing? Get your stuff done. And so in our toolkit, what we're doing is saying, no, start with the psychological safety questions of checking in on how are you doing? Even as simple as how's the dog? How was the weekend? What have you got coming up? All right, then you can move to what are you doing, which is where you can provide the coaching and feedback that helps others to be successful. But the key thing as a people manager, whether you're a first-line supervisor or leader, always ask, and what's one thing I can do to better help you or us to be successful? And the first few times you ask it, you might get crickets because people are like, oh, my goodness, they've been through a course, they've read a book. 
but this is not how we do it here. So you just need to keep asking. Or if that's too broad, say, look, I'm trying to get better at listening. What's one tip you have for me to stop me just talking and filling the silence? Now I've got narrow. I'm not grading you. I'm just giving you my best tip. Count to three, you know, tap your hand, whatever it might be, being intentional. So if as a leader, if you want to know how are you doing, ask and ask consistently. And that has a huge impact on building trust, building psychological safety and getting the feedback that you need to hear to accelerate you and your success. As we're now, we've created an environment where people are being very candid and we are now feeling ourselves to be a little defensive, which we all know if you express any of that defensiveness will shut down the pipeline of candid feedback. So how how should we as leaders, when we start to feel our hackles rising, think about setting our defensiveness to the side so we can continue to actually hear what's being said? Oh, yes, I've been there because, again, I mean, I'm lucky enough to be in an industry as a facilitator, as a coach, where I get graded every single day at the end of every keynote, at the end of every leadership program. There's an evaluation that says, how did Morag do? And I've learned that there will always be outliers, the people who love me and the people who don't love me so much. And then you've got a healthy middle. So the first thing you can do in the moment is remind yourself you asked for the feedback. So you asked for this. This is great. And then just say thank you. You don't have to justify it. You don't have to defend. You don't have to say, oh, give me another. Um, prove to me when I did that because you said I'm always like that, but I'm only sometimes like that. Just say thank you. You don't even have to promise to do anything different. And then take it on advisement. If it's the first time you've had that feedback, put it on the shelf, ignore it, leave it there. If it's the second or third, then start to pay attention. And if it's the fourth, fifth or sixth time, step up and do something because at some point this is going to come and bite you and be career limiting. So when you get feedback that stings, channel your curiosity. Remember, it's being hopefully delivered with the intent of making you better, in which case just say thank you and let it go. I love it. Now, I know we're coming up to the end of our time together here, and we've had a ton of really good advice. This has been great. I hope everyone listening was taking notes. But what is, if you can leave our listeners with just one more thing that they can do to move the needle on psychological safety in their own teams and organizations, what would that one thing be? So that one thing would be to go and have a conversation with your team as to what is psychological safety and how do we continue to elevate it on this team? Because psychological safety doesn't happen by me announcing that this is a psychological safe place. It comes from every individual perspective and again, one conversation at a time. So talk about it, research it. There are so many resources available on the interwebs. In fact, I have one for your audience, Alyssa. If everybody goes to skyteam.cloud forward slash change artist, then you can take the Ally Mindset profile with my compliments. And again, that may help you identify where you need to turn the dial up or down in order to better role model the Ally behaviors that will help you and your colleagues to be successful and better together. And should we be having those conversations in a group setting? Should we be having those conversations one-on-one -on -one? 
what's the right, from your perspective, what's the right setting for that first conversation? Oh, I would encourage one-to-one to start with. For many, this is a new topic and it's going to feel a little bit, is there a hidden agenda here? Um, but it, you have to take the pulse of your own team, your own organization. If this is something that is also already familiar, then go straight in and talk with the team. But sow the seeds one-on-one and then bring everybody to the table and use, I mean, we use a lot of card sort activities, um, surveys. So then it's the survey or the activity tell us where we need to work versus I have to be vulnerable and put my hand up and say, well, this is where it's broken. So start small, individual conversations, then move to the team and, and look for, and if necessary, call me. I'll give you some resources and point you in the right direction. So how you can facilitate that conversation in a way that doesn't make people wrong, but helps open up their mind to an alternative way of collaborating and teamwork that ensures mutual success versus individual gain. And I love this idea of having a conversation And starting the conversation in a way that doesn't make the other person wrong. I think that's so important to take away, particularly when we're having these conversations with people that we feel are resistors, Mm -hmm. right? Well, this has been great. So I know you mentioned a skyteam.cloud slash, give me that link again. So So skyteam, S-K-Y-E, team.cloud forward slash change artist. So the name of the podcast, and that will take you direct to the website that allows you to take the Ally Mindset profile. And if you'd like to learn more about me and my work, then please connect with me on LinkedIn. Mention Alyssa's name or the podcast title Change Artists. I'll know where you heard about me. And you can also follow me at my website, SkyTeam, S-K-Y-E, team.com. Perfect. And for our listeners, we will be sure to include those links in the show notes so you can go and link to Morag directly. Well, I really appreciate your time and perspective here. Hopefully our listeners can take your advice and apply it to their own teams. Now, if our listeners would like to bring these kinds of conversations to their own organizations, you can visit us at blueswiftconsulting.com to schedule an intro call. Thank you so much, Morag. My pleasure, Alyssa. 